Hello and welcome to the third episode of Storm the Norm, the fortnightly podcast that looks at how businesses can rewire to succeed in a disruptive world. I'm your co-host Narayan. I'm Anisha. We're happy to announce that you can now find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify and iTunes. Just search for Storm the Norm. Today, we have a very special episode featuring Dipali Goenka, the CEO and Managing Director of Wellspun India, the global textile giant homegrown from India. Dipali is perhaps one of the most qualified people to storm the norm we are discussing today. So what is the norm that we plan to storm in this episode, Narayan? It is this. Family CEOs in family businesses have it easier than professional CEOs. That's the common perception, isn't it? That family-run businesses benefit family members with superior incentives and lesser hindrances, and so it's easier for them. But let me add a key statistic here about why this is an important norm to storm for anyone in business. By one estimate, 90% of all businesses in India are family-run businesses, from the ubiquitous Kirana stores to multi-industry conglomerates. Now that I think about it, you recognize so many big names that are family-owned businesses, the Tatas, Birlas, Godrej, Parley, Pianis, Premjis, Naders. Yeah, this does seem like a fairly universal yeah, norm. Absolutely. But there seems to be more to this norm than meets the eye. Uh, so Anisha, I have more fundamental question for you as usual. Stated like this, this norm sounds like a sweeping statement to make. And yet, I must admit, it rings true. There's this joke doing the rounds that entrepreneurs are basically people with family money to back their startup. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds a little <laughs> unkind and untrue, but it's one of the things that lead to this norm, at least perceptually being true. Would you say that family CEOs in family businesses have unfair advantages over their professional peers? There are definitely some advantages to being a family CEO in a family business. But as you say, there's more to it than meets the eye. Let me start with the advantages, though. Okay. The first is that family CEOs or leaders in family businesses have built-in advantages of trust within the family that professional CEOs don't. Typically, a family CEO's interest is the same as that of both the family and the company. Mm. You can't always say the same about a professional CEO where their personal and professional allegiances may be divergent. True. So clearly, that's the first advantage that I see. Secondly, they are not in it just to get paid. Yeah. It's not just a job for them, nor do they stop caring about it once they leave the office. This is their passion and that's what drives them beyond pay, beyond office hours, beyond mere responsibility and accountability. It rings true as well. Yeah. But while those are definitely advantages that professional CEOs can't claim, I get a sense that you're going to flip the coin and look at the other side, that there are more cons and than pros. Yeah, there are always two sides to a coin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There are some big challenges to being a family CEO to a family business. Okay, Uh, Let me start with the most obvious ones. Nepotism. How do you fight this perception of unspoken assumption that there will be nepotism in family-run businesses? Hmm. And there's no getting away from the assumption except by consistently and relentlessly being transparent at all levels. I mean, I can't think of that accusation not being leveled against anybody. Anybody. Any family business. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The second challenge is that emotion creeps into the picture at all times. When it comes to family, you can't just keep emotion and be completely professional and practical about your decision making. Um, 
so to that extent you lose the opportunity to leverage purely professional relationships mm. the boundaries do start getting blurred mm. and sometimes that is not advantages for business you know so much for that famous dialogue from the godfather right that this is not personal it's business but clearly the lines blur when it comes to family businesses yeah well put the third challenge is one of extreme loyalty which on the face of it seems like a good thing but when you stop seeing where business ends and life begins you may reach a stage where you don't know where life will end that's the harsh reality that was recently brought home by what happened with vg siddharth the founder of cafe coffee day it's a very somber but critical point that neither can be forgotten nor put on the back burner nisha yeah and i think another interesting ones coming to my mind a challenge which is a real challenge the point of the office spouse and personal spouse being the same person or the office patriarch or matriarch in the house patriarch matriarch being the same person yeah, yeah true uh, with the office spouse there's a mentor mentee relationship but again the lines blur when it's the same person in the office and home and there's a lost opportunity to learn from the office spouse because you don't see them as separate from the personal one I mean, what I'm hearing is there are no easy answers. Uh, but also, what's important is that these questions be addressed, not brushed under the carpet. And that's when the norm can be stormed. Let me hold back my thoughts for a minute here and take this opportunity to invite our special guest, Dipali Goenka, CEO and Managing Director of Wellspun India, to talk about the travails of being a family CEO in a family business. Let me do a quick introduction of her before we get her on. Dipali is the CEO and Joint Managing Director of Wellspun India, as I said. Under her dynamic leadership, Wellspun has transformed into a global leader in home textiles, with a focus on customer centricity and innovation. While she is a graduate in psychology and a Harvard alumnus, uh, and has been invited across prestigious forums, including the World Economic Forum and uh, Harvard India Conference. I think what's special about her journey also is the unusual trajectory that she took. She got married at 18, had kids, and only when she felt that they were well settled at home did she take the plunge into the world of business. So, over to uh, you Anisha and and Dipali. Thank you Dipali for joining us in this special episode of Storm the Norm podcast. As you are aware, we take different accepted norms across business landscapes. and explore how these can be stormed this special episode the norm that we plan to storm is titled family ceos in family businesses have it easier than professional ceos it's a common perception that family run businesses benefit family members with superior incentives and lesser hindrances do you agree with that oh uh, no no anisha first of all thank you for letting be a part of this podcast um i must tell you about myself uh, i started my journey in 2003 and that's the time i also launched my brand spaces and as i as we as i grew through the ranks 2010 when i took over the reins of elspan india uh, i was completely evaluated as a professional ceo mm-hmm. and uh, that was very very kind of evaluation in the terms of my um, senior uh mr rajesh mandaviwala or the board i think the uh, accountability set in there and uh, i think uh, if you can compare me to any other professional ceo uh, i would definitely rate in the terms of commitment in the terms of deliverable at par or not even that better than them 
uh, could be something I can say. Um, not, not sounding, uh, you know, kind of arrogant here, Anisha. I think uh, the few things that definitely um, have been the values that I stand by and uh, believe in is commitment and commitment to my work, discipline to whatever I do and a passion to whatever, anything that I do stays very, very strongly imb embedded in my day-to-day -day dealings. And a very important thing that has actually held me on and has made me very, very excited about every day that I come to work are the values that I stand by mm -hmm. in the terms of my mm -hmm. communities. 2002-2003, BK and me decided we will not just do business for the sake of doing business. It will be done in the terms of creating value, value for not only your communities, but the people who work for us and also our shareholders. So is it true, because you are a family person, uh, you can afford to expand yourself and your horizon and your vision to doing a lot more uh, in terms of community, in terms of social work, or is that irrespective of family or professional? That's your passion, that's your individuality. And that's what makes you do all the kind of things that you do. Anisha, even if I wouldn't have been a promoter here and I would have been working in a capacity of a CEO somewhere, I think it's all about the values I bring on the table. Mm -hmm. The important aspect of seeing that when I started that there were 7% women at Wellspun mm -hmm. to where we are at around 23, not even that, 26% mm -hmm. and we are targeting wow. over 30% mm -hmm. women. I think that's what holds true to you know what I do. It's just not about like I'm coming here to work because mm -hmm. there has to be a far bigger purpose yeah, yeah. and that's what motivates me to work every single day. So have you managed to transfer or let's say cascade? your larger vision and purpose down to your employees, down to your stakeholders so that they see it the same way you see it? I'm trying Anisha and I think there are a lot of people who hold pride in what we do as well mm -hmm. as a company. Mm -hmm. I know my employees, my teams, my customers. Mm -hmm. I think they definitely are very proud that they work with Wellspun as an mm -hmm. organization because they know that this is one organization that doesn't only work, that doesn't even just do business, mm -hmm. but it also works with the communities and the people around. And I think an important aspect that has been at Wellspun is that it just doesn't work from its intelligence, but it works from its emotional emotion. We'll shift gears a little here and bring it to business. You said when you came on board, you were evaluated. I'm sure there were other contenders for the same job. Yeah. You were evaluated uh, among some of the other professionals. So what actually worked in your favor if you've been through that professional evaluation process? For me, I think what worked was, you know, my understanding of a consumer. So if you have a clear understanding of that consumer, you know, you can really look at how you will innovate a product, develop a product, how you can really influence that consumer mm. to buy that product. Because I think you can talk about numbers, but you know, numbers are an outcome, yeah, Anisha. Yeah, it is true. about what you do, true, true, actually, true. is something that drives those numbers. So you did not just join the business right after your marriage. You spent quite a few years before you thought yourself to be worthy of making a case for being a CEO. Did you make a case for coming into business or was it offered to you and you evaluated and you were still not sure? Wow, <laughs> no. I think uh, it was really a journey for me of self-discovery of my potential as well. Mm -hmm. 
because I was a homemaker, Anisha, and my girls were 10 and 7, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't stay at home. And uh, when I asked my husband that I want to work, wasn't something that, okay, come, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, mm-hmm. do like yeah, whatever yeah, you want yeah, to do. Yeah. It had to be done the Welshman way. Mm-hmm. And the Welshman way is about accountability. So I started as basic as administration first. You know, we started from an office right across the trade world mm-hmm. on the ninth floor where whole interior designing was being done. So participated in that and got involved in that. And then I set up the first design studio here for our towel uh, plant as well. And then my journey began when I launched the brand Spaces because the Indian market was evolving. Yeah, yeah. Um, it never happened that yes, I'm a promoter or uh, you know part of the family. Part of the family. Uh, will I get some kind of special treatment? So that's another question that I had. I'm sure there would have been skeptics. What have you done over the period of time for people to actually start respecting you? And I'm sure you went through having to try extra hard. I'm sure there are several tests that you had to go through before people started respecting you for your outcome and for what you bring to the table. Very true, Anisha. The time that I got on board of Elspin India, there was a lot of buzz in the market. Hmm. The buzz was that is Welshman serious about what they're doing? Hmm. And uh, I mean, they've got this woman and he yeah. had got a trophy wife, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. who's just taking on the reins of Welshman India. Uh, this was the feedback from the customers also in the marketplace, mm-hmm. actually, hmm. definitely that time. Anisha, I've always believed in something and that is about your commitment and discipline. And if you are going to be committed to what you do, and you're disciplined about what you're doing, nothing can hold back anything else. And those are the kind of values I get on on the table. So how, how have passion. you stomped the norm? Yeah, so give me through an example. Talk about the adversity that you addressed when you faced that issue with Target. Uh, that was in the newspapers and it impacted your stock price. And that's a true test, I think, for any CEO. And, uh, you know, what did you do differently? At the time um, I got to know about it, uh, I was on the flight back from United States to India. We wanted to take it completely head on. It was not about just one retailer. Yeah. It was about Wellspun's credibility at stake. Yeah. So the customers who believe in us, we had to go back and sure. we had to be, we held ourselves accountable to that completely. Okay. You owned up to it. Completely owned up to it. If I landed on Saturday morning, huh. Sunday I left for United States again. Monday morning I was in front of all my customers. Awesome. I said, we've had a mistake, we've had a systemic failure, we, there's an issue in the terms of how we handle the cotton. So if there's anything that goes wrong, we're ready to test your products again. If there's anything, we'll take it back and we'll stand by our commitment. But apart from that, what we did was that we created a patented traceable solution called the well track, which can trace it back to the cotton. So you converted an adversity into an opportunity. Any other advice that you would want to give to the family leaders of family businesses? I'll only say, Anisha, one thing, that if you love doing what you want to do and what you're doing, continue doing that. Thank you so much for spending your time. This has been so valuable and I'm sure there are so many lessons that people will get out of this. Thank (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Anisha. That was insightful. So, Anisha, we've heard about the advantages, we've heard about the challenges, and we've heard from Dipali about how she storms the norm. How would you summarize it all? What can entrepreneurs and family CEOs do to retaining the advantages of being entrepreneurial and yet reap the benefits of functioning like professionals? 
So as we've been doing in our previous two episodes, I'm going to try and give our listeners five ways to storm the norm so Sounds that we have some me. tangible takeaways. Sounds good. There is this old way of working that I call the munshi mindset. You know what munshis I'm, are? I am listening. It was one where owners of the family businesses surrounded themselves with yes men and yes women who only parroted things that they wanted to hear. Sounds familiar. That's the core inner coterie group mm. Mm. that family businesses or you know entrepreneurs used to create. Mm. People who who you can trust the insider group. Mm. What they need to actually do is surround themselves with domain experts and professionals with complementary skills as against a coterie of old timers who've earned their respect by just being yes men or women. Family CEOs need to seek different views to gain holistic perspectives. That's a sticky phrase, the munshi mindset. So we need to get out of that. What else? Although family businesses should match non-family ones in their governance structures and opportunities for professional growth, they must also be careful not to lose what makes them special. And I call this family gravity. Another interesting phrase. This is what's critical for family success. What makes them special is the trust and the bonding they have with each other over generation. What makes them special is this affinity that they have for their business which goes beyond their pay scales and which goes beyond the normal working hours. So that commitment, unwavering commitment and passion that they have for the business, that's what makes them succeed. I think finding the right balance between keeping the family gravity vibrant and yet getting the professional interventions from time to time. That sounds like a fairly unique strategy only available to family CEOs. And I love that phrase, family gravity, talks about an irresistible force that you can use to your advantage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to the third one. What one has observed over the several years of being part of this world is that family businesses tend to control decision making and use the organization to execute the decision. So they tend to decentralize operations, but they don't decentralize decision making. The critical decisions I'm talking about, the, the, you know, when it comes to shareholding patterns, when it comes to larger governance related decisions, there seems to be, you know, a munshi mindset that comes in. I'm not talking about day to day decisions or, you know, decisions that you need to take in your own domain, but larger business decisions of expansion, growths, JVs, mergers, all of those. I think there seems to be a skew towards trusting the family and the core group. Okay, so let me just recap quickly. Um, you took, spoke about abandoning the Munshi mindset, leveraging family gravity, and then decentralizing decision-making. What's the fourth principle? Focus on maximizing value as against chasing valuation. Dipali spoke about this as well, but nothing beats a purpose-driven organization. You know, she spoke about how when she entered, she shifted, it was a manufacturing organization, and she shifted this entire attention from numbers to having a customer at the center of it all. And linked to that was a larger purpose that was created uh, for the group. And that has seen the trajectory of growth in that business uh, move significantly. So the valuation game is temporary and will seem shallow in merely trying to make your books look good by artificial manipulations. But the best, most enduring businesses are built by being customer first, building a purpose around solving customer needs and problems. It's back to basics. It's very hygiene. It sounds cliche, but that's what is at the center of it all. I can't dispute that at all. Mm. And we have one more. 
there's a very interesting phrase that comes in handy for family businesses. Uh, I think Nelson Mandela popularized this, the shepherd style of leaders. Shepherds, if you see, are always behind their flock of sheep. How do you guide people from behind? Okay. You are nudging them, you are protecting them, you are navigating them, but you are not deciding for them. How do you facilitate decision-making rather than take the decisions? Mm. And I think family businesses, if they can shift the decision-making from being on the center of the limelight to being you know, behind a set of key professionals, mm. domain experts, uh, leaders in their organization, and adopt that, I think they are well, uh, you know, the, the best poised to balance between the family gravity, the advantages of family gravity and an outside perspective. And I think it's related to that other point you're making about decentralizing decision making, because what you're saying is make yourself redundant, not useless, but redundant in the sense that you're empowering the entire yeah, organization yeah, to, yeah. to move to Kazer forward. And and that's also in line with the shepherd style of leadership because basically you're saying True. they have the freedom to go where they yes. want. And I trust that they will go in the right yes. direction. And I'm there if they need me. Exactly. Brilliant. Okay. Okay. I'm going to try and pick up that one principle amongst the five we just spoke about, the magic ingredient, so to speak, that can be most instrumental in storming this norm. To recap, the norm is that family CEOs and family businesses have it far easier than professional CEOs. And in that respect, perhaps the most critical factor in achieving long-term success is family gravity. It's the force that pulls them closer to the company, its values, and to the family legacy. And it distinguishes it from a fly-by-night or flash-in-the-pan valuation-based success. Leveraging that is not easy, but it's also the one advantage that professional CEOs don't have. Would you agree with that, Anisha? I couldn't have put it better. Fantastic. That brings us to the end of another episode of exploring ways in which businesses can rewire to succeed in a disruptive world. Once again, you can catch this episode and all our pre previous episodes on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or iTunes. Just search for Storm the Norm and catch all our episodes there. We'll be back in two weeks again with fresh thoughts on how to storm the norm. I'm Narayan. And I'm Anisha. Signing off for today. Thank you. Thank you.